Welcome to Didn't Get the Memo, a podcast dedicated to interviewing and gaining insight from ultra-successful individuals who departed from convention to achieve their success. James, Hi. thank you very much for, for your time this morning. Here we are sat in your beautiful, amazing shop, um, surrounded by very expensive and very interesting pieces. Um, we just moved this sofa around, this chair around, I'm not sure, bench around, and we were a bit worried that we might t- you know, take a leg off or something. It's probably worth about 20 million quid or something. <laughs> it is a lovely bench, I'll give you that. It's a lovely bench. Not a 20 million quid bench? Not quite no. 20 million. Oh, all right, okay, fair it's enough. A very so, nice bench, nevertheless. So, so we can reveal the damage that we caused a bit later on. Cheers. <laughs> no, but look, look, thanks very much. Um, here we are to, to, to talk about, you know, obviously about you um, and how you, you got to where you got to. Didn't get the memo. What the podcast is about is about uh, speaking to people who have achieved massive success you've been massively successful in what you've done you've bucked the trend you've um, gone against convention done something that's not been done before um, and it's just trying to speak to you and understand how you did it how you got here um, and in a way kind of try and demystify um, the rules around success because there are certain trends and traits um, that those the successful people have and i see many of them in you so just want to have a little chat about that um, but again thanks very much and we'll uh, we'll we'll crack on clearly we're in, in your shop and there are people who be in and out so we may be pausing at times yeah it's a bit buzzy so it's a nice day here we'll be getting a few visitors hopefully hopefully it'll be a few visitors hopefully we're gonna have to stop multiple times <laughs> you never know you might buy the bench we might end up on the floor <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly so look you, you you've got a really interesting story right i mean we're sat here this is one of many shops that you have um and this doesn't happen by accident but your, your, your starting life was, was somewhat um a, a bit disjointed a bit you know you, you were a school dropout at quite a young age it was 15 when you left school yes yes I was expelled from school when I was 15 so yeah I couldn't really uh I mean I don't blame them to be honest with you I was disruptive I wasn't paying attention yeah. I used to you know it's typical of uh yeah it was uh it was um not a great time for me probably less of a great time for my parents to be quite honest with you but yeah I was always in trouble I just seemed to have problems with authority of any sort really to be honest with you sure sure and and when they expelled you I mean at that time were you mature enough to think hold on a minute this isn't a good thing or was it a case of you know what at least I'm away from these twits now I can crack on well I didn't I actually quite enjoyed going at the actual function of going into the school because it was where hell was raised, to be quite honest with you. So I didn't and you, mind. You, you were at the source of it. Well, I was a little bit like the Pied Piper in that respect. So um, I quite enjoyed it. And um, so when I was finally expelled and they said, look, you're not included anymore. We don't want you on the premises. I was like, oh, shit. What am I going to do now? I was sitting at home. I was 15. I was sitting, you know, coming down for breakfast and sitting there with my mum all day. So <laughs> it wasn't exactly exciting. So I wasn't that happy about... Um, being excluded and it took a bit of time to be honest with you before I sort of found my feet in terms of um, any working or any work ethic if you like so you know I did various little jobs I was a site labourer and um, um, I did sort of uh, manual work for a while and then I sort of went I managed to get a few quid together and I went traveling and that's where after I come back from that trip I sort of set my mind a bit straight if you like and and realized I sort of came to terms with the fact that I probably wasn't actually ever going to work for anyone right. ever again you know yeah. I was seven I think I was about 17 at the time I came back to the UK and I thought you know I just got to crack on and make my own way really I've sort of was always fairly independent 
even from a young child. So, you know, I'd come home from school, walk home, sort of nine, ten, make myself something to it. Yeah. That wasn't really, you know, I had a key. It was I was quite independent from an early age. Sure. So, so on that, when when you've come back from your trip, what changed? What you know? What was the the, the real change attitude-wise for you? What how did you know? What, when you went, you were a different person. So who came back? Who came back? Well, I just it sort of dawned on me. I sort of looked at what had happened, and that all through my sort of you know early teens and the trouble I was getting into, and I thought, you know what? I could put this sort of energy to some. I've got some. I've got some attributes. Probably I could put this to use. I'm quite good at. I was always felt I was. I had an eye for certain things, and um, I just started sort of putting my interests to use. Really, I was interested in cars, motorbikes, antiques, and I sort of just started on that road. Really, it first started with the cars. So, you know, I was always tinkering with bikes, always getting in trouble, mm. being brought home by the police to my mum. He's been riding around on his motorbike again. Yeah, He's yeah. only twelve. That's and not his. And then not his. <laughs> Which is probably the most important bit. <laughs> yeah, they're not his. Um, the serial number relates to a microwave or something, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it's just typical sort of delinquent yeah. teenage behaviour, yeah. really, to yeah. be honest with you. And um, so, but I was always tinkering with mechanical things. But you, so always tinkering, but the attitude had changed, right? So it looked like you'd taken responsibility when you've come back for, I need to actually grow up a bit here. And, and, and the interest, I've always had them, but you just turned the interest into something that was more uh, productive, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, even as a kid, I was always doing up motorbikes, taking them apart. My mum used to go absolutely crazy. She'd come up and then on my, on my bed, there'd be an old bike frame <laughs> and wheels everywhere. And, uh, you know, that sort of, um, and I'd be buying and selling them to other school kids. And I came back and I thought, what am I going to do? You know, I'm sort of like 17. I've been shoveling shit for about a year on a building site. My feet have turned orange because I've been in so much sand. <laughs> yeah. This can't really continue. And no, I, no sunbed in sight. No, that's right. So um, I thought, well, I actually like mechanical things. I'm quite good at taking something and making it worth a bit more, if you like. Mm. So that's I sort of turned that skill to the classic car um, and I bought a, a car of someone, I think it was a couple of hundred quid, 200 pounds, I think it was, 250 quid, and uh, took the bumpers off, polished them all up, painted the wheels, did a few bits, and, you know, I think we trebled, I trebled the money in a, um, within a sort of two or three weeks. And I thought, well, this is good. This is, I've earned more money in this time than I have for shoveling sand <laughs> around for in the last sort of six months. So that's how it all really started for me in the car game. And um, that escalated. So, you know, I went from buying one car. It's always classic stuff because I, I, I like to do stuff that I enjoy, you know. Mm. So buying stuff that was um, appealing to me. Um, so old classic MGBs uh, that went on to Jags and things like that. But at the beginning, it was something more affordable. Old Triumphs and MGs were sort of the bread and butter of what I was yeah. doing. And uh, so bu buying those and sort of doing them up and selling them on uh, was how I sort of got into the first started realizing that actually I had a bit of a skill for sort of making a few quid sure and I was supplying London with some of their you know some really good dealers in London with some of their classic cars so I'd go all over the country I'd end up in train on trains I would go up to Scotland up into and how Newcastle. old were you now I was about 17 18 right. at the time so I was just flying around all over the place making money making money and that was how it all started um, and yeah, and then um, what happened? <laughs> I'm trying to think. 
So, so such a long time ago. Yeah, just well, not not that long. But you look about. Yeah, no, I was about to flatter you. There. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll keep it to myself. I'm already in, and uh, yeah, there's no need to keep flattering you. No. But uh, yeah, so so look, but when you left school, right? Or, or rather, when you were um, asked to leave school, mm. I'll put it that way. Mm. Were the teachers ever telling you what you'd amount to? Yes, I mean, look, they'd always make you, you know, and I don't really blame them. I was a I was disruptive. Other kids couldn't learn whilst I was in a class. I'd want to be sent a retention. You know, I wasn't interested if there wasn't a small fire going on or something, you know, <laughs> something like that. So, I mean, it wasn't just one day they came in and said, you can't come anymore. Yeah, it was sure. a, a years of yeah. being excluded, you know, being expelled, being allowed back. It went on for years, to be quite honest with you. And so I left just, you know, prior to me sitting any exams, I didn't leave any qualifications. Mm. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but they did sort of make you feel like, with the exception of one or two actually, that were a little bit more, seemed to be a bit more caring about yeah. your future. But generally speaking, they didn't seem to understand and didn't really seem to care. It was, uh, you're not gonna amount to anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I know where you're going, Mr. Constantino. I yeah. know where you're going to end up. Starts with HMT. Just basically, and if you drum that into kids at an early age, they start to believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it does. I don't think it has a positive effect on anyone's outlook. You want to try and build them up and look at their strengths. I'm not saying that um, it's an easy task, but um, we should look at the education system and about how yeah. kids are going through there. And um, um, I think looking at their some of their um, strengths and maybe their practical uh, some some kids are great, maybe not academically, but they've got some other great skills that can be um, can be you know put to use, or they can thrive on those. Uh, there's lots of kids with with uh, with a skill for something that maybe not we wouldn't sure. be spotted in the uh, conventional uh, yeah, education system on taking exams and books and so on and so mm. forth. I mean, and as you say, you know, no one really rises to low expectations and keep telling the kid that they're not going to be anything and, and often they'll, they'll, they'll amount to that it becomes their reality but did you feel that you had a point to prove and when you were doing well it was kind of like a ha, showed you look well I mean I didn't set out with a point to prove because I wasn't really interested in what anyone else thought <laughs> to be quite honest with you but um, obviously when you achieve something it makes you feel good and you do reflect back on your school life and what uh, went before and what people told you you would amount to uh, including your parents yeah. sometimes <laughs> but you know, so it does make you feel good. And I think that's um, an important thing to instill in youngsters if they can be made to good, feel good about themselves in some aspect. Um, you know, yeah, sure. everyone's got strengths. Absolutely. So you're, so you're selling the cars and you're doing well. Um, there, there comes a point when you stop selling cars and you pivot and move into something else, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I always sort of dabbled in cars. So I, I, and I think it was first started for me when I sort of transgressed to um, the property market. So I was taking, I, what I basically did was when I was buying cars, I was buying something that was run down. I would take it away, make it look pretty. So I thought, well, I can adapt this to homes, really. I thought, you know, there's a... We were coming out of a recession um, in the uh, late 80s. Mm. So, um, you know, inf interest rates had been high. The property market was collapsed. Uh, there was mortgage lenders were keen to um, stimulate the market with some really great mortgage deals. They were offering cash back deals and almost zero deposits. So there was a lot of that going on. And I was able to get on the, I mean, I already had bought my own home when I was, I think, 19 or 20 but I managed to build up a portfolio of rental property quite quickly 
on the back of the crash in the 80s and uh, I was able to do it really by the mortgage offerings at the time that were trying were out there trying to stimulate the market so I built up a portfolio quite quickly I think um, at one point I had about uh, 20 odd houses to be honest with you right that was so rented out it's an opportunity that presented itself it's an opportunity that presented itself to many people in the country right it wasn't a secret that you could get mortgages and so on and so forth no you jumped on it, many didn't. And I'm just trying to identify and hone in on what is it that, you know, those characteristics that you have that make you realise that this could be something where many other people wouldn't necessarily. Well, I mean, I adapted what I learned really from what I knew of um, in the classic car market. So, you know, the first property I bought, I went and had a little look. The bathroom had been smashed up. I think it was a repossession. Kitchen had been ripped out. I did some quick sums. I thought, well, new kitchen... That's three and a half grand, a new bathroom, that's a thousand pounds. You know, I did the uh, carpets and a repack. So you quickly add it all up, which is something I'm pretty good at. Mm -hmm. And I always get it fairly, I'm fairly good at that sort yeah. of. A lot of people would go away, they'd do a survey, they'd engage um, surveyors, they'd, uh, they'd, you know, do their home. I'm not really like that. I tend to work on a bit of paper, to be honest. That's interesting, right? So... You know, I didn't get the memo of the series links to a book and in the book I talk about the very same thing when I wrote the book I write this book in 30 days and my, my, my rationale for it was I'm just going to bang it out myself otherwise you can go and get a publisher then they're going to slow you down then you need a lawyer then you need a this and by the time everyone gets involved the moment has gone yeah you know, the moment's gone and, and it just also I think it becomes too expensive to actually um, it negates any yeah, gain to be quite honest absolutely. with you a lot of the time so I tend to work I work I like working alone and I'd probably take a few risks in that respect. I mean, I was quite lucky in the property market. I didn't buy anything with subsidence or anything like that. Lucky and, or you did your... Well, I mean, I, I did... What you could. I did what I could and what to the best of my ability, and it seemed to pay off. And you had the, the confidence in yourself to, to make a decision and go with it, right? And if it went pear-shaped, you'd, you'd pick up the pieces. Well, I think like in that. this game or in sort of any form of business, when you're starting out especially, you've got to be confident relatively confident in what you do um if you're not then you're probably going to make some mistakes i would yeah i would uh, think that's quite key yeah yeah you've got to be fairly confident in your ability to and i was i mean i couldn't i couldn't actually see a negative you yeah. know people used to say to me well what if this happens and that and i said well what's the worst case scenario yeah so if the worst case scenario was that i had my money back then i would view it as a good business deal most times, to Absolutely. be quite honest with you. Absolutely. And no doubt, I mean, you've done, you've pivoted on a number of occasions and you've done many things and there are many people, no doubt, who will surround you and bring up the what-ifs time and time again. And it is a case mm -hmm. of rationalising those what-ifs, um, not giving them more uh, energy, more um, power than they actually deserve and seeing what, even if it does go pear-shaped, what is the worst that can happen? But many people don't do that. Well, look, your desire for gain must be greater than your fear of loss. Otherwise, you're never, ever going to go in out there and try and earn a few quid because you would just talk yourself out of every deal that you ever did. Yeah. I'm, I like to talk myself into deals, to be quite honest with you. I, look at, I always look at the negatives and the what-ifs to a degree, but if you studied it in great depth and worried yourself to death with every... What if you would never get it done, to be quite honest? You wouldn't do anything, you probably wouldn't leave your house if you really no, exactly. looked at every uh, exactly. risk. That and there are people that do, I think the people that you're talking about that didn't go out at that time are people that looked into the what ifs more than I did, probably. Yeah. Um, and studied them and it concerned them. I, I um, 
maybe I maybe I take greater risks because I haven't got as many options as some of these people. They can go maybe into the city and go and get a, a job in the Gherkin or wherever they want to walk into. I haven't got that. Um, and that's I, an interesting point. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Again, just coming back to all the principles that, 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 that obviously I speak to many people, um, successful people, even in this series. But you, because you left school with, and, and I'm just coming back to your very point, because you left school without qualifications, you didn't have the option, you didn't have the safety net to go and do something less risky. You had to take necessary risks. I'm not saying you went crazy with the risk, but you took risks because you knew this was my means of survival. I don't have the option of going and getting a job to send in a CV, going elsewhere. So you needed to make it work. Where others, they have, it's a luxury. They've got too many options, which I think can be a, a, a problem for them in many respects. Well, yeah, I mean, who knows what would have happened if I'd have left school with five A levels. Do you or think you'd have been here? Well, I don't know. I can't really say. I mean, but I don't think my personality would have been if I'd have been the type to study to get five A levels, I probably would have been no good for this role, to be quite honest with you. Mm. But I may have had other options, you know, and I may not have uh, wanted to. Let's talk about those other options, <laughs> right? Just for a moment, right? And <laughs> sorry to Steve, because right. you're, you're you're saying some some brilliant stuff here, which I think on the surface it sounds great, but when you dig deep, there is real sort of philosophical um, sort of insight to be to be had here. If you had other options, you had five A-levels, is it a case of you wouldn't have been right for this or you wouldn't have needed to make yourself right for this? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that I would have had the desire for it as maybe I wouldn't have been as hungry for it. I was hungry. I was hungry to have nice things and to live a nice life and to go on holidays and to drive. I was desperate to get my leg in a 911 when yeah. I had a Porsche 911. So, <laughs> you know, how was I going to get these things? Um, I really had to put my ass on the line. Um, and take some risks, and I think everyone setting out uh, in the same sort of way that I did probably will would have to take mm. certain risks. Um, as I said, I always think, feel it was a measured risk in many respects, and I, you're not going to win every deal you do. No, I mean, I've bought properties and lost money. Every, everyone has, but the, it's a roller coaster ride, and you've just got to know that generally you're going to have to go be on the up if you mm. want to succeed. Um, and uh, as I said before, you know, your desire for gain's got to be greater than your fear of loss. Otherwise, you're not going to you're not going to achieve anything. Sure. And those deals where you have lost, and, and you know, all of us have made losses. If you're running, you know, doing business and you're pushing, you're going to make loss. And I think there is that sort of thinking out there for people who play it safe that you don't make losses and we're superheroes and you get everything right all the time. When you do make a loss, what's your response to that? Well, you just got to carry on, haven't you? You pick yourself up, carry on. You sort of learn from every mistake that you made. If it was a mistake, you might view it even a loss might not be a mistake. It might have been a, you know, an educated or an uneducated uh, uh, risk in some respects. And you may have been prepared to take that risk. I think that, as I said, as long as you go on and do another deal and that deal works or the next deal works and you carry on, I would never put myself in a position where one deal could possibly ruin me. Sure. I think that's the... Um, that's the roulette table there. Yeah, I mean, you just wouldn't... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, when you're setting out, it's a very different thing. If you're buying one car and you're relying on that car selling, then it's, you know, you've got to be really careful. But nowadays, um, you know, I think that um you couldn't possibly do everything every single d d uh, deal you do isn't going to ring the bell mm. um but i wouldn't put myself i wouldn't sell everything up and no, sure. buy bitcoin for sure. arguments sake. No, absolutely. um so uh yeah i think that's an important point but even in this you know amazing establishment that you have here there must be deals that you do and you know you're going to do deals where you you're going to lose money you're going to get it wrong you, but it still doesn't stop you from going out there and doing deals right you it's part of 
the process? Well, I always think about the deals that went right, to yes. be honest. So obviously you do want to learn from the deals that didn't go right, but you always think about well, the next one could be right so and should be right and it's got a good chance of being right because out of the last 100 deals I've done, 95% of them have been right. Sure. So um, it's when you, you know, you're doing deals that, you know, 50-50 or they don't, or, you know, they're, you've got mar the margins are wrong or the percentage, you're, get, you're getting it wrong a lot. I think then you've got to consider Revisit. getting back to school, getting your A-levels <laughs> yeah, yeah, and getting yeah, up yeah. in the city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe getting expelled wasn't such a great idea after all. Yeah. So, so you've got your 20 properties, you're doing all right, you've got this rental portfolio mm. and um, things are starting to look okay for you in the property sector. Well, the property market went boom, you know, coming mm. out of the recession like it always does, to be honest with you. And I was just lucky enough that um, or, um, you know, I put myself in a position where I had a portfolio, the rentals more than covered the mortgages and actually gave me a living. Um, and I was still buying and selling cars. And then I went into development. So I started looking at bits of land. So I thought, well, if I can take a house and make it look pretty, I can probably um, build one from the ground up. And uh, that's really where I went when I went into development, like property development and bought a piece of land, built my first home, then I got NHBC registered uh, and started building new houses, which was I really enjoy and I still do, you know, I still enjoy that uh, side of, you know, I've got a business, a development company and uh, I don't do hundreds of houses, sure. that's not what I do, I do sort of one-off bespoke pieces and... Um, what, what do you enjoy about it? Well, I just really enjoy it. I, I really like seeing it grow out of the ground, to be honest with you, and knowing that it's going to be there for probably another hundred. It's very rewarding, property development. If you're building something that you are proud of and you, that you enjoy. I built a block of flats once, and I just thought about, I have not enjoyed this at all. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like what I've achieved. I mean, it, financially, it was great. Yeah. But really, I wouldn't probably do it again. Sure. Um, but when you build something of beauty or something yeah. that's aesthetically pleasing, it's very rewarding. And I get a kick out of it, to be yeah. honest with you. In the same way that I would if I bought an E-type Jag that had been sitting in a garage for 30 years and needed restoring. Yeah. When you see it come, it's, you know, it's, it's satisfying. Sure. It's not always about the money. A lot of people think it's about the money. It's not really. It's about the mechanics of the money yeah. more than the actual money itself. It doesn't matter whether it's £100 or... 10 or 100,000 pounds. It's really irrelevant. I think it's more of the mechanics of the business that I enjoy personally. Um, if it was about the money, I'd probably be a lot wealthier, to be honest sure, with you. Sure. Um, it's not only about that. Yeah. So um, it's more about the business for me. So what's your view on focus? Because clearly you, you, you still do the a bit of development. Um, you have this empire that you're building here uh, with prestige. Um, you know, with the pawnbrokers. So, how how do you manage to split your attention and focus, and how does that work for you? Well, it's quite difficult for me. I mean, I can't. Um, I like to sort of keep my hand on or a finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on. So, a lot of people can relinquish a lot of that um, uh, and hand you know hand it over to other people. I'm not really like that. I like to know the ins and outs of everything, probably. You know, the guys might, I might drive them mad. I phone them up. I'm in touch with them every day. I probably, you know, I've sort of, I'm pretty hands on. Uh, yes, I could probably do other stuff. I mean, I've got a development company. Um, so we build new homes. Uh, we've got the pawnbroking. I've got a vending 
company as well. So we uh, have got um, vending machines out in in um, high footfall locations. Um, so there's a quite a lot going on, but I don't, you know, I mean, I just, I like to, I wouldn't do it if I didn't know what was going on with each business on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, that's not really how I work. Do, do you think that any of those businesses, I'm sure they're all doing very well, um, do you think that any of them could be doing a lot better if your focus was 100% on those, or you're not? Well, I'd, to be honest with you, um, Prestige and the pawnbroking is taking up pretty much all of my time. The, the development side is uh, something that, you know, it's because it's quite small and it's bespoke. It's, it's not something, it's manageable. Yeah, you don't need to put in terms of man hours. It's not every day. I mean, at the moment, we're not currently building anything, yeah. so it's, it's not relevant. But And the other business, which is the vending business, is being run by other people gotcha. and it's all under control. So yeah, the, yeah, the pawnbroking is, that, that's where I'm focused right now. Right.